uh, to be here today. Uh, if you're visiting this morning, I want to echo Jason and Brenton in welcoming you here, let you know how grateful we are that you're here. We thank God for you and that you're able to be here with us today. What a blessing and privilege we have to worship God, to express our praise, our adoration, to give God thanks for all that He is and all that He does. And I'm excited to study with you from God's Word for a little while this morning on a subject that I think is super critical, I guess they all are, uh, fundamental, foundational to our Christian faith, something that I'm always seeking to get better at, like so many things. Uh, There's always room for improvement, and that is our prayer life. And I would guess that all Christians have struggled at times with their prayer life, with both the quantity and the quality of our prayers. In Joshua 9, we read of an account of an event when the children of Israel made a covenant with the Gibeonites. They were not to do that. They were to drive the people out of the land. And the Gibeonites deceived them into making this covenant and kind of the summation of what happened, where they went wrong. It says they did not ask counsel of the Lord through study and prayer. What a damning indictment, but could it not often be said of us? We had a job opportunity, but we did not consult the Lord. We sought advice for parenting and our marriage and finances, but we did not consult the Lord. Preaching, teaching, evangelism, discipling, ministries did not consult the Lord. And so we do that again. We do that through study and prayer. God talks to us through His Word. We let God speak to us first. And I believe that should influence and shape what we say back to God. We've talked before about praying in the language of Scripture, that God's Word ought to feed and inspire our prayers, uh, what we pray for, how we pray about it. And we shouldn't expect God to listen to us if we won't first listen to Him. You ever tried to improve your prayer life and floundered so badly that you came away more discouraged, more disappointed? And I think what we can do is we can use the prayers in Scripture to recalibrate our prayer life. When ours have become routine, when ours have become stale, and we're stuck in the rut of vain repetition. Certainly we see themes in the prayers in the Scripture. We see themes in the prayers of Paul, the things that he prayed. There's certain themes, certain things we should be praying about constantly in nearly every prayer now, the vision Paul has of the end we're going to talk about, he's always praying with anticipation for Christ's return, and that gives him the inspiration for how to live in the present. And so there is a, a theme. There are things that we cycle through in our prayers, but it was not stale. There's a freshness to it because he ties so much of his praying to his thanksgiving. There's certain things we're thankful for all the time that Christ has done in the past, God's done for us. But there are new things that we're thankful for, things going on in our lives. And so there's a freshness because of the thanksgiving. There's a freshness because he ties so much of his prayers to what he's writing then in that letter, to the Word of God. And I think probably the most surprising and disturbing and unfortunate thing in reality is the prayerlessness that characterizes so many Christians. James writes in James 4, you do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. And this does not account, this is not an accord with the emphasis and the examples of prayer throughout the Bible. You know, there are truly so many needs, so many activities we need to be involved in. Ministry, evangelism, parenting, family, discipling, morality, worship, etc., etc., etc. But prayer is needed for all of them. 
Prayer improves all of them. And so hopefully we're doing a lot of good. Hopefully there's a lot of activity, but it seems sometimes we have forgotten to pray and how to pray. And often when we lay our prayers alongside the prayers in the Bible, alongside what God wants, God's will in the Bible, there's a significant delta, there's a significant discrepancy. And so praying the Scriptures will confront us, will connect us to the purpose, the plans, the priorities of God. It leads you away from uh, superficial, self-centered praying. God's Word has to reform our theology, our doctrine, our worship, our ethics, our morality, our families, our practices, our prayers. We need to restore New Testament praying. We need to align our prayers with what we see in the Word of God. Praying the Psalms, praying with Paul, Praying the Lord's Prayer we talked about a year ago. Using the Lord's Prayer as our template, our model, our framework for the things that we pray to God for. What we pray for and how we pray for it. And so it begs the question, what if God did in our lives, our homes, our churches, according to our prayers? What would happen? What would that look like? How would it affect you? How would it affect others? How would it affect the lost? How would it affect your family? How would it affect your children? How would it affect the kingdom? 1 Thessalonians 5, 25, Brethren, pray for us. Why doesn't he tell us what to pray for? Well, I think because the letter gives us the content, the agenda. Pray the Scripture. Turn God's book into your prayer book. And so we want to look at three prayers of Paul for a little while this morning. First, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and verse 11, we read, Therefore, we also, we also pray always for you. And he says what we're praying for, we're praying that you would be worthy of his calling, that he would fulfill, bring to fruition all these good purposes of God, the goals and goodness of God. That's what I'm praying for. But the therefore points us back to the verses leading into this prayer, what he's asking for, and verses 3 through 10 essentially give us the mentality that Paul prays with, the attitude that Paul prays with. What's on Paul's mind? What's on Paul's heart as he prays? Gratitude for God's grace. That's what most influences Paul's prayers. He gives God thanks that the Thessalonians' faith is growing exceedingly, and the love of every one of you is abounding. Faith is growing. Love is increasing and abounding. They are persevering because of growing faith and abounding love. That's what he's thanking God for in his prayers. What are we giving thanks for in our prayers? You know, I think if we're honest, our thanksgiving is often tied to material blessings. And we, certainly we should be thankful. We should thank God for every good gift, Right? We spend so much of our prayers, I think, praying about uh, material, physical, health, and wealth. And we should give God thanks for those things. But what we give thanks for the most reveals what's most important to us, what's most valuable to us. Are we praying for physical health and wealth the most or spiritual health and wealth the most? And so the model is look for God's grace in your life and the lives of other people and when you see it, give God thanks for it. Paul prays with the end in view, with God's grace in mind and with these goals in mind. We see in these verses, he's talking about Christ's return, 
to take vengeance on those who, who don't know God, who don't obey the gospel, those who are persecuting the Christians, persecuting the church. There's a confidence in God's justice, God's vindication. He prays with the end in view, with the end in sight, this sense of eager anticipation of the Lord's return. That's the mentality we should have in our praying. Fix your eyes, fix your focus, fix your perspective on the end, on the Lord's return. You can't pray properly with a a myopic vision. That God would make us worthy of His calling. That's His prayer. We pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of His calling. That we would respond as is appropriate. That's what it means. Not that we earn it, not that we deserve it, not that we're worthy of it. That's not what he means, that it's fitting, as is appropriate for those who have been redeemed by God in Christ. Respond as good stewards of God's grace and salvation, as is appropriate, worthily, not worthy, that the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified in us, in us and Him, according to God's grace and the Lord Jesus Christ, that God would bring that to fruition by His power. That's our prayer. By Your power, working in us and through us, make it happen, God. When did you last pray that prayer for your family? For your spouse, for your children, for your brethren, for the church? Or is it all about grades? in jobs, in activities, and worldly success? Do our prayers reflect warped priorities? From eternity's perspective, 40 billion years from now, what should we be praying for right now for our children, for our brothers and sisters? Because if we're not careful, we turn our prayers into shopping lists. We try to automate God like a vending machine, and we make him a cosmic genie. And sometimes, too, when we get so caught up in the physical things, I think the only time we pray for each other is when we're sick. And certainly, we should be praying for the sick. We have examples of that, prayers of that in the Bible. We need to pray for the sick. But if all we're praying for is the physical health and wealth of other people and not their spiritual health and wealth, (laughs) we're not praying the prayers of Paul. And we give this... uh, impression that the only way to get prayed for is to get sick. In our study, in our prayers, we have to ask constantly, what is the goal? What's the end in view? What's the end inside? What's our purpose? What's the plan? What's the priority? And the answer is, what's God's purpose? What's God's plan? What's God's priority? And as we find those answers in the Word, we must petition God by His power would bring it to fruition in our life. That Jesus Christ will be glorified in us. That's the ultimate prayer. Hallowed be thy name. We studied that in the Lord's Prayer. That's the first petition, the ultimate petition by which all the others flow. Your name, which represents who you are, all that you are, your essence, be glorified, be honored, be regarded as holy in our life and the lives of other people. Make it happen. Hallowed be your name. Christ should be glorified in us. That's Paul's ultimate petition. That's his ultimate request. That's the best desire. That's the best prayer you could pray as a Christian. And that's a prayer that's going to get answered every time. Our prayers and plans should not be to win glory and praise and adoration for ourselves to make much of self. It should be to make much of Christ. That's our prayer. 
Because whatever we're doing, evangelism, ministries, visits, cooking, cleaning, inviting, preaching, greeting, etc., there's a temptation, the heart of all sin. The fundamental sin is idolatry. This desire to make ourselves the center. And if we look at service or ministries that we're praying for, for God to make it happen, bring this to fruition in our lives, if we look at those things as a means to the end of making us the center instead of Christ the center, and we pray things with the goal, with the agenda, with the ulterior motive that God would make me the center, we're asking God to bless our idolatry. And we've got to fight. We've got to guard against that tendency in our praying. And when we glorify God, we're not giving to Him something He doesn't already have. We're ascribing to Him what's already His. Hallowed be your name. Pray for God's name to be hallowed and glorified and magnified. And that believers would be glorified in Christ. And that doesn't contradict what He just said. It doesn't mean that we're seeking the glory that belongs to Christ. It doesn't mean that we're asking to be the center. He's talking about Romans 8.30 glory. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. We pray for the day when we enjoy resurrected, perfected bodies. With the end in view. That's the glory we pray for. Not to make much of self, to make much of Christ. And that's happening right now as we're transformed, as we're conformed to the image of His Son. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Pray to be strengthened. Pray to be empowered. Pray to be transformed to be more and more like Christ. That's what we pray for. Understanding our glorification, becoming more like Christ, and our ultimate glorification is ultimately about His glorification. It makes much of Christ. It makes much of His grace, His love, His power to make the seemingly impossible possible in us. He receives the praise. He receives the glory. He receives the credit for our justification, our sanctification, our glorification. What we have become by the power of God's grace. What He has done to make this all possible. Pray with God's grace in mind. Pray with the end in view, with the end in mind. That's the motivation for our response to our praying right now. With godly goals in mind. That ultimately Christ would be glorified in us and us in Him. When was the last time you prayed that prayer? When was the last time you prayed like that? Made that your goal, made that your power, made that your focus, your concern, your ultimate obsession. And the ground, the basis of this prayer, verse 11, we pray, therefore we also pray always. Here's what we're praying for, that you'd be worthy of the calling, that God would bring these good purposes to fruition. We pray so that the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Paul wants the Thessalonians to seek this continuous improvement. We've studied that. That's so much of the context of these letters. We've heard of your faith. We've heard of your love. It's inspiring the churches, but you can do even more. You can do even better. Abound in love for one another. Keep growing. Keep increasing. Work harder, but work understanding that it's God who's ultimately working in you. Your work is made possible by the power and work of God. 
justified, sanctified, glorified in accordance with the grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's asking God, answer these requests, answer these uh, uh, petitions, bring it to fruition by your power, because God has to do that. God has to be at work to answer these prayers. Certainly there's man's response, there's man's free will, and our response to God's grace, but ultimately we're fruitful We grow, we love because He first loved us. We're made holy by His holiness, by His grace. Everything we are asking for is only available on the basis, on the grounds of God's grace. We have to have God's grace at every point in our life, past, present, future, justification, sanctification, glorification, past, present, future. And we've got to seek His plans, His purposes, His glory, in all things. Paul's prayers are ultimately the glorification of Christ and His people would be realized. That's his ultimate request. That vision has to drive our prayers and our response to our prayers. Then and only then will we persevere in our praying till we reach the end, our glorification, our perfection. Paul prays for people, going to 1 Thessalonians 3, this prayer here in verse 9, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. There's that theme again for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all saints. There's the end again. And there's a tendency, I think, in our praying and our living to be selfish, to be self-centered. We just talked about that. Notice how much of Paul's prayers are about people, are about other people. Intercession for others, thanksgiving for others. And as we pray for people, as we pray for others, we want to pray according to God's will for them, right? And again, emphasizes we've got to pray in the language of Scripture. We're not going to know what to ask for, for our spouse, our children, our family, our brethren, the church, if we're not praying in the language of Scripture. And I want to tell you that exercise is convicting and it's disarming. It forces you to search your heart, to empty it of hate and envy, and jealousy, and resentment, and bitterness. How can we ask God to bless others while we curse them in our heart? And so if you want to reform your prayer life, you have to reform your heart first. That's where it starts. And we have to pray with the heart for the hearts of other people. Paul prays that there will be an overflow of love for believers. Verse 12. He's not just concerned with their doctrine, with their understanding, with their knowledge. He's concerned about their practice about their application, about their love, so that so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all saints. He's praying with these things, for these things, in light of the end. And we see the connection with Paul's uh, foundation, praying with eternity's uh, values in view in mind, and his burning passion for people. That's all part of the same vision. He's praying with the end in mind, from an eternal perspective and a passion for people. It's all wrapped into the same vision. 
When we pray for people, we have to do so knowing that others, these people, ourselves, are inevitably moving towards the end. The last day. And from that perspective, there's not a more important prayer that we could pray than verse 13. Are you offering that petition? And notice how much of Paul's prayers are thanksgivings. He thanks God for God's grace in his life and the lives of other people. And he tells others that he's thanking God for them. And then he tells them, here's what I'm thanking God about for you. He says, I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm praying for. Here's what I'm asking for. Here's what I'm thanking God about you for. To encourage them, to inspire them to greater activity, to greater faith, greater love, keep it up, do more. But he does so giving credit to God. He doesn't do that to puff them up, but to humble them that God's doing this. It's God at work in you. We get the encouragement. We get the inspiration. God gets the glory. God gets the credit. How much would our churches, how much would our families and our homes be blessed, be inspired to greater level, be activated to greater levels of activity if we did that? If we thanked God for each other and then we told each other what we're thanking God about. And I want to encourage you, if we're going to do that, make sure it's real, make sure it's genuine, make sure it's praiseworthy. And Paul is so in tune with the, the values of God that what God finds joy in, angels rejoice in heaven when a sinner repents, when the lost is found, Luke 15. He said, that's what I'm getting joy from. I'm thanking God for you, all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. I get so much joy from your justification, your sanctification, your anticipation of glorification. That's what gives me joy. 2 Thessalonians 1, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, as is appropriate, as is proper, because here's the reason why. Your faith grows, your love's abounding, so that we ourselves boast of you. That word because is a causal clause, and it looks back to the, we ought to always give thanks because, and it looks forward to, we boast about you. Growing faith, growing love, we're exulting vertically, we're exulting horizontally, Thanks is going up, praise and boasting is going out, but the boasting is in the church of God. It's still all about God. The boasting is in the work of God. All credit, all praise, all glory to God. And so when you see genuine faith and genuine love that's growing and increasing and abounding, give God thanks and tell others what God's doing. Boast to others about what God is doing in the church by Christ Jesus. We give God thanks because we're getting joy from you. Is that narcissistic? Is that the prayer of a narcissist? We're thanking God because of what we're getting from you? It's not narcissistic because a narcissist wouldn't pray verse 10 and 11 that we might see you so that we could supply what's lacking in your faith, so that we can serve you. This is a prayer of a servant, not a narcissist. And Paul doesn't just ask for God to answer this prayer. He mingles the intercession for others with ministry. God, use me to make this happen. 
That's his prayer. That's his pattern. Paul doesn't get very far in his prayers for people and his praying before he has this intense desire that he expresses to serve those he's praying for. Be part of the answer. Be part of the solution. We see as we back into chapter 2, leading into this prayer, and the verses leading into the prayer in chapter 3, Paul is in agony, out of concern for their good. This intense longing to be with them for their good. This passion for people is what shaped and influenced Paul's prayers. Prayers that were produced by an intense desire to seek the eternal good and blessing of other people. Not to seek their praise, not to seek their gifts, their money, their acceptance, their affirmation, their approval. It wasn't about his sense of fulfillment. Not about feeding his ego. His concern was, how can I be most useful? How can I serve people? Not how can I feel useful. How can I best glorify God by serving His people? That was his prayer. And that leads into this final prayer we want to look at in Romans chapter 15, which was a prayer for ministry. Romans 15 verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And there's a sense of urgency in this prayer for ministry, and an earnestness. Strive. Join with me. Struggle with me in prayer. That's how Paul saw prayer. He saw it as part of the Christian struggle, battle, war. That word is often associated with the the strenuous discipline of an athlete to give it all you got to win. That's how Paul viewed prayer. Join me in this struggle. Join me in this fight to pray. Pray for my service. Pray for my ministry. Ask others, petition others, solicit prayers for your ministry. And if you're going to do that, that implies that you have one to pray about. Paul asked that he might be kept from the opposition of of unbelievers. And the book of Acts is full of the opposition to Paul's ministry and the Jewish community against Paul. Paul asked, pray that this opposition will be overcome. Pray that my service for the saints would be received, would be accepted by those being served. And that's what we should pray for in our ministry and the ministries of other people in the church that it would overcome the opposition of outsiders, of unbelievers seeking to limit or eliminate them. Pray that hindrances to the gospel, advancement of the kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom advance. Pray kingdom prayers. That that opposition to kingdom advancement would be overcome and pray that the ministries of those seeking to do that would be acceptable, would be received by those being served. That's our prayer. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. He wants the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be unleashed. That's his prayer. And this prayer is seeking further ministry. He's praying to serve, and he's praying for more opportunities to serve. That's what he's praying for. We back up to verse 24. He's praying about going to Spain. He's he's wanting to go to Spain and to Rome. 
These are large, visionary kingdom prayers that Paul is praying. He's not just praying for immediate needs. He's praying for the broad, big picture, the advancement of the kingdom of God. And it begs the question, do we tie our request in prayer to a larger vision, to the spreading of the gospel, to the advancement of the kingdom of God? That's what drove Paul's prayers. What's driving ours? What vision is driving our prayer? And I want to tell you, this is the prayer. This prayer will change us and it will put us to work. And it's important for us to notice that some of Paul's prayers weren't answered the way he probably envisioned and weren't answered certainly immediately. We know how his story worked out because we have the book of Acts and of the three requests, the second is granted, the first is not. Paul was arrested by those opposing him at the instigation of unbelieving Jews. And so far as we know, he never made it to Spain. His prayer to go to Rome was answered, but probably not the way he wanted Not the way he envisioned, arrested, shipwrecked, snake-bitten. And we see the providence of God at work. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Paul wanted to go to Rome. Rome arrested Paul, and Rome got to pay for the trip. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes about this thorn in the flesh. He said, three times I pleaded to God, remove it. Did God answer the prayer? Three times I pleaded, and what did God do? He didn't respond by decreasing the pain and the circumstance, but He responded. He answered the prayer by increasing the grace to increase the trust and the faith and the dependence. And Paul bookends this wonderful text by saying, to keep me from being conceited, I was given this thorn in the flesh. To keep me from being conceited, I was given this thorn in the flesh. This thorn wasn't just the work of Satan, it was the work of God. God uses Satan against Satan. God takes this thorn that Satan meant to turn Paul away from his ministry, to puff him up with pride, and he used it to deliver him from the fathers of lies and pride. That's the power of a thorn. And so Paul says, essentially, if I can have this ministry and these revelations and not be puffed up with pride and be protected and guarded against Satan and his lies, for Christ's sake, I will rejoice. What if every time we ask God for something in Jesus' name, God answered and we received exactly what we asked for, exactly as we asked for it, exactly as we envisioned? How do we view God? How would we view prayer? Would God not become this cosmic genie that's brought up not by rubbing Aladdin's lamp, but by praying in Jesus' name? Prayer would become a magic trick. Please, give me, 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 in Jesus' name. That's magic, not worship. That's superstition. That's self-centered idolatry, not a relationship. There was something in the Lord's Prayer and the way He prayed to God as Father, this relationship He had in His prayers that caused the disciples, the one thing we read about, teach us how to do this. Teach us how to do what? Pray like that. God may give us what, you ask, what we ask for. Be careful about that too. I've asked God for things and He's, he's given me exactly what I asked for. God humble me. God humble me. He may make us wait. He may decline because He knows better. He sees what we can't see. He may give us the goal of what we're asking for, but maybe not the way that we asked for it. Paul got to Rome. 
And he may give us sufficient grace to cope with the thorn, but not remove the thorn. But no and not now are just as much an answer as yes. There are no unanswered prayers for the child of God. And so we see sometimes the answer is no because the request is not in God's or my best interest. Maybe the request isn't in accordance with God's plan. Often in my prayers, I'm focused on my pain. Am I focused on God's plan? Not my will. Not my pain, Jesus said. Not my, my will, thy will be done. Maybe I'm not recognizing the answer. Sometimes we pray and we don't think we got an answer. Maybe we're not seeing it. Maybe the answer is not yet. Wait on the Lord. Be patient. Have faith. We read in the Bible that God won't answer the prayer of men living in sin. God won't listen to you if you refuse to listen to Him. God won't answer a prayer that's a substitute for work. Give us this day our daily bread doesn't mean that we're exempt from going out and working for it. God expects us to go out and be the means and mediums by which God working in us and through us can answer those prayers. Reminds me of a story about a boy fishing with his father, and they put out lines, and they checked him the next day. They'd caught a lot of fish. The boy said, Dad, I knew we were going to catch a lot of fish. How'd you know that, son? I prayed about it. Put out lines. The next day, I checked him. They hadn't caught anything. The boy said, Dad, I knew we weren't going to catch any fish. His dad said, how'd you know that? He said, because I didn't pray about it. He said, why didn't you pray about it? He said, because we forgot to bait the hooks. That boy understood a lesson that we need to take to heart. There's no point praying about it if we're not going to bait the hooks. We pray for evangelism, that the lost should be found, that the church would grow. What are we doing about it? Bring it to fruition, God. Make it happen. Paul said, make it happen through me. Put me to work. Activate me. There's a gentleman at church at Fort Smith that told me about this concept, and he was a kid back when you walked to school uphill, you know, both ways and, and all that. But they got caught up in a storm, and it started, and it was a bad thunderstorm. And one of the other kids said, hey, we need to stop and pray about this. And his response was, pray and run faster. <laughs> That's the concept. 1 Thessalonians 3.10, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. First Thessalonians 2.18, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. You know implicit in this is that it's not getting answered immediately and it's not getting answered maybe the way he envisioned. That's why we're praying earnestly night and day, over and over. Doesn't overcome satanic opposition overnight. And so Jesus teaches us Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Keep coming. Keep asking, even though I might not answer immediately or the way that you envision. And he said, basically, if an unrighteous judge or in another place, he talks about a neighbor, responds to persistence because you won't quit asking, how much more so a Father in heaven who loves you, who wants to bless you because it puts His grace, His love, His mercy on display. And the point is not that does God answer prayer, the question is, do we have enough faith to keep praying? And the point is not that God has to be shamed like an unrighteous judge or a lazy, selfish neighbor who's concerned about their honor, their shame, their culture, upholding their name. But the point is, how much more so will your Father in heaven respond? Paul believed in the power of prayer. I mean, that's evident. He believed in the power of prayer. He believed in the power of prayer to change his life, the lives of others. It, he believed it would have an effect on the way he lived and the way he died. He believed that it could overcome 
satanic opposition, the opposition of unbelievers, hindrances to the gospel, to evangelism, that it would influence unbelievers to not oppose me, for believers to accept my ministry. Titus' tribal plans we saw to his prayers, that God's word, the gospel would be unleashed, would be free to advance the kingdom. And so as we summarize the things that Paul prayed for, deliverance from adversaries to his ministry, arrival at his long for destination, not only in this life and his ministry, but ultimately in the next. That his ministry be found acceptable to those being served, that a door would be opened for the gospel, that words would be given, boldness would be imparted, the word would run in triumph, in conversion, in transformation. That's a prayer agenda for you. That's a prayer list for you. When was the last time we prayed like that? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we humbly come before you in awe of all that you are, all that you've done, all that you do. We pray that your name would be hallowed in our, in our life and the lives of others, that you would be regarded as holy, as supreme by all, that, that you would be honored, that you would be praised. We pray, Father, that you would help us to have a better prayer life, that we'd have a better relationship with you, that we would know better about how to pray and what to pray for, that we would pray in the language of Scripture, that we would incline our ears first to you, what you have to say to us, and that that would feed what we have to say to you, that we would pray according to your will, not to ask amiss to consume things upon our own lust. Help us to have the right mentality as we pray and as we live, that we would have the right heart, the right reason, the right motivation for who we are and what we do. We pray that we'd have a heart for you and that we'd have a heart for the hearts of other people. We pray, Father, that you would help us to serve others, that that we would uh, be mindful of others, that you would use us uh, to make a difference in people's lives. We pray, Father, that we would walk worthy of your calling, that you would make, make that happen through our justification, our sanctification, that you would bring these good purposes to fruition in us and through us. Help us to be part of the answer. Use us to answer these prayers, to take the gospel, to advance the kingdom to a lost and dying world. We pray for our ministries and the ministries of others that it would overcome the opposition of Satan and unbelievers, that the gospel would be free, that the gospel would run and advance your kingdom, your glory, your honor. Father, above all, we thank you for Christ who makes all of this possible. We pray that we would glorify him and that we would ultimately be glorified in you and him whenever he returns. We pray, Father, that all that we are, that we do would be to your glory and honor, to your praise, to your credit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning and you have a spiritual need, if you need to become a child of God, believe, repent, be baptized, be washed in the blood, put your faith in the blood, our prayer to God for you today is that you might be saved. That's our heart's desire. That's our prayer to God, that you might find salvation right now. And we pray God would answer that prayer. Maybe you're here and as a Christian, maybe you need the prayers of the church. Maybe you need prayers for your ministry. Maybe you need prayers for uh, your heart, for, for uh, your Christianity, for your faith. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, does a lot of good, and you can have a whole church of people praying for you by the power of God, the power of Christ's resurrection. We can ask God to make this happen, bring it to fruition, make us worthy of this calling. And so if you have a spiritual need this morning, if you believe in the power of Christ's blood and you believe in the power of prayer, Respond to the Lord's invitation. Will you come as we stand and sing?